Well, welcome to Big Valley, especially if this is your first time. Welcome to all of you over in the venue. Thank you, Jackie, for leading worship over there. And for all of you that are watching online, we're grateful you're, you're listening and watching and all of that. And if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 15, okay? And let me just tell you right out of the gate, we're never going to get there, but I want you to turn there. Anyway, um, it'll make me feel better. Um, hey, before I get into this, let, let, let me... Uh, let me kind of rehearse a, a little bit of what happened here Friday and Saturday. So there were uh, over 800 guys that came to our, our, our men's event, over 800 guys. Uh, in my humble opinion, it was the finest thing that our men's ministry's ever, ever done here. It was an incredible time. Saturday, everybody was around tables in here, and Saturday I brought most of the baseball team and we all sat right back there together in tables and some of them brought their, their dads and it was just, it was just incredible. Uh, at the very end, there was an altar call for those that wanted to come to Christ or maybe just dedicate their lives to living a more holy life or godly life. And man, this altar up here was just, just filled with, with guys. I, I literally sat back there and was just crying. It was such a a, a powerful time from a really phenomenal man of, of God. And he still works. Uh, he's still in the military. He's in active duty. He trains all the special ops guys. And it's such a unique thing that somebody from the Department of Defense would be allowed to come here and preach Jesus. But it was just this incredible moment. And uh, I know the Lord was working in a number of Guys' lives. I know God was working in the lives of uh, my baseball players, and it really was a it was a pretty emotional, weighty moment. And 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 these two things kind of go hand in hand. The second thing I want to talk about is a little bit what Michelle was talking about as it relates to our school. I know a little bit about our school, and uh, obviously every school is going to teach uh, you know everybody what two plus two is or four plus four is or. We're going to teach your kids, you know, what verbs are and adverbs are. We're going to teach your kids, you know, who won, won the Civil War and all those things. But one of the things our school does is we're about discipling um, young people. We're about helping young people grow in their relationship with, with Jesus. And because of my unique position as the varsity baseball coach, I get to see... Um, uh, how you as moms and dads, how, how, how you have done in terms of discipling your own children. I get to see how uh, our church and other churches have done in terms of discipling those young people. And then obviously I get to see how the school has partnered with moms and dads and, and you know, local churches and, and to see how, you know, these kids are, are really walking with the Lord. And I'll tell you, the 17 guys on my baseball team are 17 of the sharpest guys you will ever meet. And I know you, you can listen to the media, you can read stuff in magazines or whatever, and there's always all this junk out there about what a you know, crummy generation this is. And every generation's crummy, except for us you know, boomers, because <laughs> we were perfect. We were the perfect generation. Isn't that right, Jeff? <laughs> hey, look, I want you to know something. Listen to me. We're in good hands. 
This next generation of young people are just incredible. They love Jesus Christ deeply. They care about the Lord. They're smart, intelligent. Oh yeah, every generation has its, its you know, goofballs. But I'm telling you, we're in good hands, folks. And part of it is because of what you as parents have done and what youth groups have done and certainly what our school has done. And I just wanna challenge you to be generous. Over and above what you normally give, any shuckle you can give to help us get more kids into our school is, is, is a, worthy, is, is a worthy, worthy cause, okay? All right, so with that, if you're visiting with us, uh, we're in a series where we're going through what is called the Gospel of John or the letter that John wrote. It's got a number of different names. We've taken a little break because of the Easter season, and so I want to get us caught up a, a, a little bit, okay? So um, John was uh, like Jesus's, one of his best friends, maybe his best friend. They actually would have hung out together. They would have had uh, breakfast together, lunch together, dinner together. They would have gone fishing together. Uh, they would have gone camping together. Uh, these were two men who loved each other deeply. And so when you read through the Gospel of John in here, you're, you're reading um, you know, from a guy who was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. He, he would have seen Jesus perform the miracles that he writes about. He would have seen it with his own eyeballs. He would have, he would have heard the sermons that Jesus preached that he records in his letter. And so what we're doing is we're just kind of walking through it, kind of, you know, chapter by chapter, story by story maybe, or vignette of the, of the life of Jesus by vignette. And and so right now we're in chapter 15. And what I did inside your program is I, I gave you um, kind of the, the headings that I've given each of these chapters. And you can see chapter one is uh, Jesus is God, right? Chapter two, Jesus turns water into wine. That's where he does his first miracle in chapter two at a wedding at Cana. Chapter three is all about this incredible conversation that Jesus has with this religious leader by the name of Nicodemus. In chapter four, Jesus talks with a woman at a well. And after that conversation, that woman goes back to her hometown and basically a, a revival broke out because of her testimony. Chapter five, Jesus heals a man at a pool. In chapter six, Jesus feeds 5,000 plus people. In chapter seven, Jesus promises us living water. In chapter eight, Jesus talks with an adulterous woman. In chapter nine, Jesus heals a, a blind man. In chapter 10, Jesus is our shepherd. In chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. In chapter 12, we looked at Jesus being anointed with this expensive perfume. In chapter 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Chapter 14, and we spent three weeks talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then today, chapter 15, Jesus is the vine and, and we are the, the, the branches. Now, obviously, each of these chapters, there's a whole lot more in them than these headings that I've given you. In fact, we've looked at a whole lot more than just those headings that I've given you. But I have challenged you as my family here to memorize those chapter headings. That way you'll have a, a roadmap through the Gospel of John. You'll know if someone says, hey, John chapter three, what, what's that about? You'll go, oh yeah, that's where that, that conversation between Jesus and that you know, religious leader 
takes place. Or John chapter 11, yeah, John chapter 11, that's where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And so I challenge you to continue to do your best to memorize these chapter headings. So with all that said, let, let's get into the, the message. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna lay a foundation. And I found out last night that uh, this message really is now gonna be a two-parter because I'm gonna spend some, some time laying this foundation uh, for you. And I wanna begin with this thought that it's really important that you as a follower of Jesus have a proper understanding of who you are in Christ. In other words, it's super important that you as a follower of Jesus understand what the Bible says about you or what God says about you. You see, it's one thing to know what your parents think about you. It's another thing to know what your grandparents think about you. It's one thing to know what your spouse thinks about you or what your kids think about you. But what's most important, what's most you know, critical is that you understand what God says about you. Every one of you in this room, if you name the name of Christ, you need to understand what the Bible says about you, what God says about you. Why, why is this so important? It's important because the better you understand yourself, the better you understand what the Bible says about you, the greater the chances that you'll live a, a life that honors the Lord, the, the greater the chances you'll live a fruitful life. In fact, this past week I was reading a number of studies that they've done over the last 40 or 50 years. Major universities spent lots of money, millions of dollars, kind of studying this idea of self-perception, that how you perceive yourself matters, that you have a right self-perception of yourself because how you see yourself plays a huge role in how your life will unpack. In fact, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If you see yourself as a loser, and I just chose that word, the chances are pretty good that you'll end up acting like a loser. You'll, you, you'll do the things that losers do if you see yourself as a loser. If you see yourself as a victim, the chances are pretty good that you'll tend to let people victimize you and you'll act like a victim. If you see, see yourself as uncreative, then the chances are pretty good that you'll rarely, if ever, you know, come up with anything creative. On the other hand, if you see yourself as successful, then the chances are pretty good that you'll end up being somewhat su successful. If you see yourself as somebody that's been forgiven by God and deeply loved by God and a child of God, then the chances are pretty good that you'll live appropriately. And by the way, this isn't a new discovery. Thousands of years ago, God said this, he said, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Or for as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. The great Warren Worsby said this, he said, quote, you may not be able to see your thoughts or weigh your thoughts or measure your thoughts, but that doesn't mean they're not real and that doesn't mean they're not powerful. They are. Secular psychologists and universities that spent millions and millions of dollars researching it. God said it, you know, 2,000 years ago. 
What you think about yourself matters. Listen to what John Maxwell said. He said, quote, what occupies your mind and what you think about means more than anything else in your life. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not. That's not biblical truth. That's not truth of the capital T, but I'll tell you what, that's a weighty thought from a, from a godly man. John MacArthur put it this way. He said, quote, spiritual stability is a result of how a person thinks. The Bible leaves no doubt that people's lives are the product of their thoughts. And that's basically what Proverbs 23 is saying. What you think about yourself matters. Truth matters. We've all heard that old saying that goes like this. Garbage in, garbage out, right? Because it's true. There's, there's truth to it. We all need to be careful what we fill our minds with because that which we fill our minds with will greatly determine what our lives are gonna be like in the future. Listen to what Paul, the great apostle, said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Beloved, basically what Paul's telling us is that what you think about should line up with what the word of God teaches. And if it doesn't, if that thought comes into your mind and it doesn't line up with what God teaches, you're to take it captive and go, whoa, 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 hang on here. Wait a minute. That is not what God's word says. For instance, you're driving down the freeway and some car, I don't know, cuts you off. And so you step on the, the gas pedal and you get up next to him and I don't know, you feel like giving him the one-way sign. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> what you have to do is go, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know that's what I feel like doing. Yeah, that, 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 that's, that's what my gut's telling me to do. But it, it, it's, it's, it's the truth that's gonna set me free. And, and wait a minute, is that something that the king of kings would want me to do? It, would that be a good way for me to be his ambassador? Is that something if Jesus was sitting in the seat next to me, he'd tell me, yeah, you want to catch up with that guy and give him the bird, you know? Why don't you do that? Why don't you, hurry up, come on, come on. In fact, I'll give you some extra horsepower. I'll supernaturally horsepower your car up there. And the answer is obviously no. And so what you have to do is you got to take that thought captive and go, wait a minute. That doesn't line up with what the scripture says. Now the problem is, is that too many of us don't know what the scripture says. And so guess what? Any thought can come into our mind and you can't take it captive. Because you don't know what the Bible says. You don't know what his will is. And so we just start acting off of any feeling that comes into our minds. And God says, no, don't do that. And the same thing is, is, is true about who you are. There's all kinds of thoughts that have been put into your mind and what we need to do is know exactly what God has to say uh, 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 about us. 
Truth matters, beloved. What, what God says about you matters. So what I want to do is I want to give you three fundamental truths or maybe three pillars of what we as Christians need to know and need to understand, okay? And this is going to lead us into uh, our passage in, in John, okay? The first fundamental truth is this, is that God created everything, okay? That's a fundamental truth that every believer has to know and understand that God created everything, which includes you. If you go to the very first book of the Bible, the first you know, sentence in the Bible, in Genesis chapter one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, ex nihilio, out of nothing, God created the heavens and the earth. As I've told you many, many times, if you can't get by the very first sentence in the Bible, I think it's the most important sentence in all the Bible. And here's why. Because if you can't get past the very first sentence in the very first book of the Bible, then the rest of it isn't going to matter. That in the beginning, God created. Ex nihilio, out of nothing, there was nothing. And out of nothing, God created everything. And that includes you. Now what's interesting is that the Bible doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about how God created everything. Instead, it spends a lot of time talking about why God created everything. In other words, this isn't a scientific book. Now there is science recorded in it and it always has proven itself to be true. But it's not a scientific book. God doesn't tell us necessarily how he accomplished everything, but he does tell us why he does what he does, why God created the universe, why God created planet Earth, why God created human beings. And one of the things that's really obvious is that God created earth to sustain life. God created the earth to be inhabited. In other words, he didn't want earth to be a dead planet. Have you noticed we've spent billions of dollars sending, you know, probes out all over the galaxy and, and I don't know, they, you know, they, they, they get to Mars and, and it's just dead and then, and then they get to Saturn and it's just, just dead and they go all the way out to Pluto, if that's still a planet, I don't know. And, and, but it's just dead. Everything's just dead. Then you look at planet Earth. Whoa! There's life everywhere. Listen to what God said through the great prophet Isaiah. The Lord created the heavens. We know that from Genesis 1. He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He did not want it to be empty, but he wanted life on earth. Obviously, planet earth is different than all of the other planets that at least we've explored up to this point. I mean, there is life everywhere on planet earth. The question is why? Why did God create earth to sustain life? Well, listen to what God says in Revelation chapter four, because it's super interesting. 
He says, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why is he worthy, man? Because he created all things out of nothing, ex nihilo. He created, obviously. He's worthy of glory and honor and power. But he goes on and says, for thy pleasure, they are and were created. God made earth this place that sustains life that he would reveal his glory through it all. He, 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 it was for his pleasure that it was all created. And sometimes you have to ask yourself just some questions when you watch some programs. I, I love all the nature shows and I was watching one not long ago where they built this little one-man submarine. And it was like a, like a $500 million submarine. And they get in the thing, okay? And then they, they, this thing went like down like five miles into this trench where no, you know, there's not been light ever down there kind of thing. And they're going down and down. And it took like hours for this thing to get all the way down there. And then and they had no idea what they were going to see, right? All the way down, just hours and hours. And then, pitch black. Hours. You hope you don't get a crick in the hose, the air hose. That'd be a bummer. Finally, they're at the bottom of this abyss. Okay. Click on the lights. And they're, they're thinking, you know, there's so much pressure down there. What could possibly live? And all of a sudden, this little fish <laughs> goes to by. Oh! Wait! That's the first time we have ever seen that fish! It's a new species! And their guy's going nuts, you know. It's just, we can't believe it. All the pressure and the thing on the fish. We got a five million, you know, $500 million thing, the sub, a guy in it, and the fish goes by. And I'm thinking to myself, God created that fish for only one reason. He knew none of us were going to see it. He just created it for himself. Because nobody else was going to see it. And it swam by. That was it. Just, it was like God was going, hey, look at this. You're never going to see it again because you're never going to be able to live down this far underneath the water, man. Everything that was created was created to display his glory and it was made for his pleasure. And that includes you. Think that through. You were created to bring him pleasure. And you bring him pleasure when you worship him. When you talk about his glory and his majesty. I love what Dr. Lawson said. He said, quote, God created everything out of nothing in order to put his glory on display for the delight of his created beings and that they might declare his greatness. Man, I love that. I just thought that was really great. So the first fundamental truth I want you to understand is this, is that God created everything. Okay, Christian, he created everything. And that obviously includes you. But that brings me to number two, and it, it's, 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 we're gonna build here a little bit, okay? Fund, a fundamental truth number two is that God custom designed each person 
And that includes you. In other words, he created you, but wow, he, he custom made you. 7.6 billion people on the planet, not two of us have the same fingerprints. Okay, if you took all the people that have ever been born, you know, which would be around, I don't know, I think it's 11 billion or whatever it is, no two people would have the same fingerprints. Psalms 139 says this, and this was written by a, a warrior, a soldier. There was no hospitals and microscopes and, and all of that, but listen to what he wrote. He said, God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. He, he knew. Wow. I, he, he just knew. He knew he was a, just this incredibly complex Thing. He knew it. And he knew it had to come from one person. Look, this shoe right here took some intelligence to make. I, I, I don't know how to make a shoe. But somebody knew how to make a shoe. They knew how to sew it together and, you know, made sure it was a size 10 or whatever. That took some intelligence to make that shoe. And everybody here knows that shoe didn't make itself. It couldn't make itself. You all know that. It's intuitive. This watch right here obviously didn't make itself. Now, it took a lot more intelligence to make this watch than it did to, you know, make the shoe. Just intuitively, you know this watch could not have made itself. In fact, the maker put a little, little, little mark on it. And your watch has a mark on it too, Timex or... Bulova or Seiko or whatever it is. And yet we live in a time in a world where we intuitively know that shoe didn't make itself. We intuitively know this watch didn't make itself, but your eyeball just happened. Your central nervous system just happened. Your heart and lungs and liver just, just happened, man. Intuitively, we know our shoes had a maker. We just know that somebody had to make this watch. And guess what? We know. You can suppress that truth if you want, and many do, but you just know that, you know what? That took some intelligence. This took less intelligence. But dude, the guy that thought up the eyeball, that took some intelligence. And it was the same guy that thought up the central nervous system, whoa, and the heart, and the lung, and the liver, and the kidneys, and the spleen, and the tonsils, whatever they do. We normally get rid of those when you're kids. <laughs> yeah. Just, hey, King David said, look, I, I just know. I got no microscopes. There's not, a, there's not a surgery room where I can cut people open. I just know 
that I am complex and that you, God, had to have knit me together just like Timex had to have put your watch together. Just like Skechers had to have made your shoes. He just knew it. He goes on and says, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You, God, saw me before I was ever born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Look, fundamental truth number one is that God made everything that includes you, but whoa, 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 hang on a second. You need to understand that you are unique. Nobody else like you. Look, here's the deal. Don't ever let any biology teacher or professor or any parent tell you that, that you're, you're an accident because you're not. There are accidental parents, but there are no accidental babies. Look, look, let me tell you something. I have a sister, listen to me. I have a sister who's 14 years older than I, and there's nobody in between. My, my, my parents had an accident. But I wasn't an accident. In other words, your parents may not have planned you, but God did. God did. I told you this story before, but I had a young high school kid ask me this question one time. Pastor Rick, I, I never knew my parents. They gave me up for adoption when I was a baby. Why, why did God allow me to be born? That's a great question. That's a weighty question. And maybe that's a question some of you have wondered. Maybe you were given up for adoption when, when you were a, a baby and you never knew your mom or dad. Maybe you've always wondered, man, what's going on? Here's what I told this young boy. I said, you were born because God wanted you. And he had a really, really cool plan for your life. And your parents simply supplied the DNA that you needed to accomplish that really super cool plan that he had for your life. You may not have known him. But God knew them. God knew your dad's DNA. God knew your mom's DNA. And he knew that if he brought your mom and dad together, and if they were to have a child, their DNA would create the perfect person to accomplish whatever it is that God wanted to accomplish through that human being, you. Here's the deal. There are tons of illegitimate parents in the world, but there's not one, not one illegitimate child. If you're here, it's because God wanted you here, and not only did he want you here, but he custom designed you to do something. God took the DNA of my mom and the DNA of my dad and put it all together so that I would accomplish whatever it was he had for me. I didn't figure that out until later on but he did the same thing for you. You may not know what that is yet, but trust me, God knows what he's doing. 
Sometimes it just takes us human beings some time to figure it out, but he knows exactly what he's doing and you're here for a purpose. Not only did he create everything, but he created you and he created you with great purpose. Got something he wants you to pull off, if you will, for, for him. And, and number three, the third fundamental truth is this. At the moment you surrendered your life over to Jesus, God gave you a new identity. At the moment you uh, surrendered your life to, to the Lord, uh, at the moment you humbled yourself and let him become the Lord of your life or you let him become the CEO of your life, at the moment you said, God, I need you in my life, I'm gonna allow you and your word to be what guides my, my life. At that moment, however you wanna word it, God gave you a new identity. Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter five says. God's word says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, if you've surrendered your life to the Lord, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're, if you're a Christian, if you're a true, genuine believer, if you really have surrendered your life over to him, the Bible says you've become a new creation. Now what does that mean? Obviously this didn't become new, right? This is getting older and, and, and falling apart and, and all that. What's he talking about? What, what's, what's new? This didn't become new. This, is a, this right here, man, this doesn't get to go to heaven. This is gonna end up in a pine box and put six feet under the ground. He goes on and says, the old is gone. The new has come. Look, when you give your life over to Jesus Christ, he gives you a new identity. He transforms your life. He makes things better. He makes things new. And I talk about this all the time. I want you to imagine I got, I got a chalkboard up here. And on this chalkboard is written all the crummy things you have ever said. When you were a child, all the crummy things you said when you were a teenager, all the crummy things you said as you were an older adolescent, maybe in college or whatever, all the crummy things you said as a single adult, all the crummy things you said to your wife or your husband or your second wife or your second husband, all the crummy things you said to your parents, it's all there. I want you to know, there ain't enough chalkboards over at our school to handle all the crummy things I've said. Just telling you. I was thinking about this week. I've said a lot of crummy things. I've said a lot of crummy things as a pastor. Things that, they're coming out of my mouth. And I'm going, no, 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 don't say it's out. And you can't, you can't get it back, man. Sound waves, man, you can't do anything. Somebody could be a billionaire if they could come up with like a little device you had in your pocket that as the sound waves were coming out, you press it real quick. Dude, we'd all buy one, wouldn't we? Man, I'd have six of them on me at all moments. I'd just be walking around with them, man. But there's another chalkboard up here. And on it are written all the things that you've ever done 
not said, done, that are crummy and hurtful and hateful and sinful. Things you did when you were a kid. Times you were selfish. You wouldn't let some other kid play with the ball. All the, th- all the things. All the things you've done. That's a lot of chalkboards, right? I'm not done. Imagine a third chalkboard up here with all the crummy, hateful, sinful, evil things you've ever thought. There ain't enough chalk to handle any one of us. But if we could, you got these three boards up here, one with all the crummy things we said, all the crummy things we've done, and all the crummy things we thought. And all those things have separated us from God. In fact, all those things, for some of you, have separated you to the point where you don't even believe in them. You actually believe that there was once nothing. Bang! And there was something. That something came from nothing. You believe that. And you got to spend some time on that. You don't believe that ex nihilio, out of nothing, God created it all. You actually believe there was once a time when there was nothing, and then there was something. And then there was an eyeball. It's happened, you know. That's how powerful these three chalkboards are. But at the moment you gave your life to Christ, at the moment I gave my life to Christ, God had this, I don't know, cosmic eraser. And he began to erase all the crummy things I have said, done, and thought of. He, he, he cleansed me of all those things. In other words, I became new. His, his blood that he shed on the cross cleansed me of all those things. And I became a, a new uh, person. All of a sudden, my relationship with the God that created me was restored. I got this new identity. And I, I, I don't know who wouldn't want to have God erase all those things. I mean, who, 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 and I, I just don't get it. Who, who wouldn't want to walk out of here today going, man, I want that new thing. I've said a lot of things that are hurtful and I've done things, thought things. I, I want to know this God who would forgive me of my sin. Man, isn't something, we all want that. The reason why we sing all these songs about God and to God and, is because, wow, God wiped the chalkboards clean. The reason why we're generous with the shekels that God has given us, he's, he wiped the, the chalkboard clean. The reason why we serve him and do all that we, man, he wiped the chalkboard clean. Are you kidding me? There's nothing greater than to know that at the moment you gave your life to Christ, the moment you became in Christ, you became a new creation. No longer sin hanging on and just like a dead weight on your soul. 
All of a sudden, everything has been, been made new. And at the moment that you were made new, you were given a new identity. And next week, I'm going to talk about that identity. Obviously, it has something to do with this fruit I got up here and plants and fruit and all of that. You don't want to miss next week because I want you to read John 15. You're going to figure out what it is on your own. But I've done a lot of messages and series on our identity in Christ. And what I'm going to talk to you about, I guarantee you never heard before. I never even thought about it before. But if you don't understand this one thing I'm going to talk about next weekend, Lord willing, then I guarantee you, you'll never live the fruitful life that God wants you to live. You'll never live that God-honoring life that I know every true believer wants to live. And so next weekend, it's super important you come back here because we're going to talk about that, okay? Everybody stand up. Over, everybody over in the venue, stand up. And so, Lord, thank you for uh, today. And Man, it was great to sing all these great sacred songs, Lord. Just weighty songs that, that are rooted in Scripture. They tell us about who you are. They, they give us great information, truth, uh, things we need to know. Thank you, God, for the great music. Thank you, Lord, for a chance to honor you and worship you through our giving. That's, that's super critical in the life of a believer. Lord, for those that were baptized, what a great moment that is. Wow, wow. People obeying you, telling the world, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a follower of Christ. Lord, thank you for your word, because without it, God, <laughs> we just don't know much about you. Obviously, we would know that you exist. You can't look at everything and not know there's a God. But without the scriptures, we don't know about your love. We don't know about your mercy. We don't know about your compassion. We don't know about your wrath. We don't know about redemption. We don't know about sin. We don't know about any of that without the word of God. We don't know about you sending your son to die on a cross for us. And so, Lord, thank you for the word of God. Because without it, there's really no point in being here. God, give us a, a great afternoon now. And I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Okay, live for Christ.